The scripture reading for today is taken from Jeremiah, the prophecy of Jeremiah. And we'll be reading Jeremiah chapter 17, the verses 1 to 18. You'll be able to find that on page 889 of your pew Bible. Jeremiah 17, the verses 1 to 18. The sin of Judah is written with a pen of iron. With the point of a diamond, it is engraved on the tablet of their heart and on the horns of your altars, while their children remember their altars and their wooden images by the green trees on the high hills. O my mountain in the field, I will give as plunder your wealth, all your treasures and all your high places of sin within all your borders. And you, even yourself, shall let go of your heritage which I gave you. And I will cause you to serve your enemies in a land which you do not know. For you have kindled a fire in my anger which shall burn forever. And here we come to our text, verses 5 to 10. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart departs from the Lord. For he shall be like a shrub in the desert and shall not see when good comes but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness, in a salt land which is not inhabited. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, and whose hope is the Lord. For he shall be like a tree planted by the waters, which spreads out its roots by the river, and will not fear when heat comes. But its leaf will be green, and will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will cease from yielding fruit. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. As a partridge that broods but does not hatch, so is he who gets riches but not by right. It will leave him in the midst of his days, and at the end he will be a fool." A glorious high throne from the beginning is the place of our sanctuary. O Lord, the hope of Israel, all who forsake you shall be ashamed. Those who depart from me shall be written in the earth because they have forsaken the Lord, the fountain of living waters. Heal me, O Lord, and I shall be healed. Save me, and I shall be saved. For you are my praise. Indeed, they say to me, where is the word of the Lord? Let it come now. As for me, I have not hurried away from being a shepherd who follows you, nor have I desired the woeful day. You know what came out of my lips. It was right there before you. Do not be a terror to me. You are my hope in the day of doom. Let them be ashamed who persecute me, but do not let me be put to shame. Let them be dismayed, but do not let me be dismayed. Bring on them the day of doom, and destroy them with double destruction. So far, the word of God. So our text for today, particular focus for today, will be the verses 5 to 10. beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who is this man that declares these things? Who is Jeremiah? 
Many of us know of him because of the fact that there's a book in the Bible that's named after him. But who is he really? Jeremiah is a former priest of the Lord. As we learn from chapter 1 of his book, he served in the town of Anathoth in Benjamin. He was pretty young when he began his career as a prophet. It started in the 13th year of the reign of Josiah, which is about 627 B.C., the year 627 B.C. Now, as you're working your way through the book of Jeremiah, you can really see that Jeremiah was a priest, and a priest who loved the Lord. As a priest, it would have been very important for him to know the law of God so that he could teach it to everybody who came to him. This was part of his job as a priest, not just to offer up sacrifices, but to play a role also in teaching. And you can really see this love for the Lord and this extensive understanding of the Word of God coming out throughout the prophecy of Jeremiah. You can see it come out throughout this book as God calls him to this new career. Now, coming about 100 years after the fall of Israel and their exile that followed right after, Jeremiah came at a difficult time in Israel's history. Judah was a lonely island surrounded by pagan influences. They didn't even have Israel to the north anymore. The people were now a few generations removed from the disaster that had happened in the exile, this, this punishment of God. And because of this, Jeremiah was living among a people who didn't really take it seriously anymore. And we can see that at the uh, end of chapter 17 here. He says, indeed, they say to me, where is the word of the Lord? Let it come now. They weren't taking it seriously. They didn't take God seriously, much less the servants that God sent to them. But still, Jeremiah served faithfully even in the face of all this. We can see that he served from 627 B.C. to a little after 586, which was the year of Judah's exile. This was a hard time for Jeremiah, personally, as well as throughout his career. Now, we think in a modern day of men like William Carey, who served as a missionary to India. William Carey served at a great personal cost, for 41 years. For the first seven years, he only had one convert. We think of the difficulty here, and we're grateful that he persevered by God's grace because by the end, he had led over 700 to Christ, and he had also translated the Bible into many local languages and dialects. His influence is one that carries on through the generations. We're grateful for the work of God. But many people, as they look at a man like William Carey, they are also stunned by his conviction, the depth of his conviction, the fact that he was willing and able to continue even after that seeming lack of progress for seven years, for the first seven years. Now, take Jeremiah in comparison with that. He also preached for about 41 years. He had the fall of Israel fresh in his mind, even though the other people did not. But did it help? It didn't seem to. His preaching, after all, didn't stop Judah's slide into exile. And yet he 
still worked faithfully. He worked faithfully despite seeing such a a lack of progress in his ministry. You see, Jeremiah's book tells us of only two men that Jeremiah's preaching seems to have impacted in a significant way. Only two men. His scribe, Barak, who took all of his notes for him. It's thanks to Barak that we actually have this book. He wrote it down on behalf of Jeremiah. And there was also an Ethiopian eunuch. So not even an Israelite. An Ethiopian eunuch named Abed-Melech, a servant of the king. But beyond these two, no one else in 41 years seems to have changed. Now, Jeremiah also faced opposition on top of such discouraging results. We read in chapter 15, verse 10, that people were coming after him as as if he owed a debt. This is to say they were harassing him and despising him, just like an ancient debt collector would face or would, would often do, pardon me. An ancient debt collector wouldn't stop coming after you until he either had your money or he had you. And that was the kind of hostility Jeremiah faced day in and day out. Now, God had promised Jeremiah in chapter 1 of his book that he would make him as hard as iron. He had said when he had commissioned him in chapter 1, verses 17 to 19, don't be dismayed or afraid in the face of these people because I'm going to make you like a fortified city, like an iron pillar, You'll be able to stand strong. You will speak to princes, to kings, to priests, and to the people of Judah. They'll fight against you, but they won't overcome because I'm with you. Now, Jeremiah knew God's promise. But as he comes to our passage today, his heart was failing him. Just before our passage in chapter 15, verse 10, He's ready to give up. And then in the midst of Jeremiah's depression and anxiety, God gives him a message to pass on to the people. And it's in preaching this message that God's servant himself is convicted and strengthened. And so we come to our theme, a preacher strengthened. We'll see first of all how he gives a message from the Lord and second how he himself stretches out his roots by the stream. Now, before we get into this passage, there's just a quick something that's really worth noting here. It's really beautiful to see that though Jeremiah is weighed down by anxiety and depression, to the point of weeping over the very fact that he was born, it says, that God is still there for him. Not only does God comfort him, but God still uses him. In their darkest hours, when all they have to hold on to is him, God very often uses many of his servants, his saints, in incredible ways. You get the psalmist who says, Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. And his words are written down in scripture. You get someone like Charles Spurgeon many, many years later, millennia later, who is used powerfully to preach to many people even though depression dogged him all his days to the point where he couldn't even get out of bed some days. And then you find Jeremiah. God still uses him. And we can see this in the message that Jeremiah brings in our passage today. Now the message that Jeremiah brings to his fellow Jews 
in the nation of Judah here is pretty straightforward. It's got two parts, a curse and a blessing. And he brings this across using the picture of plants in a desert wilderness to make it clear. Everyone can seem to be flourishing when there's lots of water. There's greenery everywhere. But what happens when that water disappears? What happens when things dry up? What's your knee-jerk reaction in these times of need? Where do you look? Cursed is the man who trusts in man, the Lord tells his people, and makes flesh his strength. The sin of Judah was engraved on the tablet of their heart. Their knee-jerk reaction showed the inclination of their heart. Their knee-jerk reaction to trouble was to look every which way for human help. When military threats came, they looked to Assyria and Egypt. This gave them a false sense of confidence. The moment that they had secured an alliance, or at least started making steps in that direction, they breathed a sigh of relief. But their first reaction was never to go to the Lord. This, Jeremiah was pointing out, was a problem. This would place them under the curse of God. Looking to other people can be helpful. It can be incredibly helpful. But if you look to other people, especially if you're looking to the enemies of the people of God, for your strength, if you're looking to these things which place themselves up against the people of God for your strength and your trust and you throw everything on them, this can actually lead you away from God. If your purpose for life is found in other people or your next job or your pursuit of fulfillment, this can lead you away from God. If your strength is somewhere else, your heart, Jeremiah says, will depart from the Lord. And what happens then? You'll be like a shrub in the desert, just a little bit of scrub bush. You'll be like a shrub in the desert. And even when the moments of good rain down on you, it'll last until the desert soaks it up and there you'll remain, stunted and dried out. Now, contrast this with the man who trusts in the Lord. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is in the Lord, Jeremiah says. Here at the center of this, we find again that, that covenant name of God as it is wherever we find the name of the Lord in capital letters in our Bible, Yahweh, that name that signifies the relationship that God has with his people, the hand that he stretched out to his people first. And yet, sure, Jeremiah, you can almost imagine the response being, sure, Jeremiah, your trust is in the Lord, but you don't seem particularly blessed. Look at you. You left a good job in chapter 1 to pursue this silly mission of preaching to us. You've got only two converts. You're hassled on every side by us. And God just told you in chapter 16 that you can't even take a wife for yourself or have sons or daughters in this place. You seem really blessed. How's that covenant relationship working out for you now? But the fact of the matter is that God's definition of blessing doesn't 
always line up with man's. Man has this idea that blessing means that only good earthly things will happen to us. But consider what Jesus said to his disciples in the New Testament. This isn't a guarantee. In this world, you will have tribulation. Matthew 10, verse 22, he even says, you will be hated by all for my name's sake. Matthew 5, verse 11, he says, blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad. Why? For great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Great is your reward in heaven. This is the theme that Christ gives us. There's a kingdom that's advancing. And we are to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Now, the people of Judah hadn't been doing this. They had just been looking for earthly stability, for earthly pleasures, pursuing earthly joys. That's all they were looking for. They couldn't see it as a blessing when these things happened. And yet, say the disciples, the apostles, the friends of Jesus who were sent out to the world, they considered it a blessing. They considered it a joy when they faced this kind of persecution, this kind of enmity. Remember, if you're familiar with it, remember the apostle Paul when he was stuck in prison with one of his friends? They started to sing. They started to sing. They counted it as joy to be persecuted for the sake of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the kingdom, because they knew that their blessing was somewhere else. You see, God gives us himself. God gives himself to everyone who puts their trust in him. That covenant name, Lord, that's the free offering of himself. And with himself, he gives us heavenly treasures. And he doesn't just give us something for the future. He gives us something in the present. He gives us his Holy Spirit. He gives us strength to persevere even through these things that we face. And here's where the next portion of what Jeremiah has to say in our passage comes in. The man who trusts in the Lord, whose hope is in the Lord, will be like a tree that's planted by streams of water. And you can see that this is a, a picture that's taken from Psalm 1. This is a picture that's very similar to the person who is planted in the desert in the first part of Jeremiah's uh, sermon, his declaration. But there's one big difference Instead of just being planted in the desert, this tree is planted by streams of water. Now you see, the, the other bit of scrub bush in the desert wouldn't even be able to really recognize good when it comes. It might feel a sprinkle of rain, but the hot, dry dust of the desert would suck up the moisture in moments. And it doesn't grow much beyond, well, a little bit. And it's not useful for much either. This tree, on the other hand, is planted by a river. And it sinks its roots deep and wide. It stretches them out to the source of life. And when the year of drought comes, 
In Judah's case, when enemies, pestilence, or famine came calling, it has a source that it can draw on. No matter how bad things get, there's a stream that's flowing that will not dry out. And so even in seasons of drought, when the scrub brush withers, this tree will bear fruit. This is the blessing of the Lord. You see, that year of drought will come. Some of you are living that right now. The year of drought will come. This is a reality of this broken and sinful world. But when everyone else's resources run dry, there is the believer bearing fruit, still growing even in the face of difficulty. How is this possible? The people who are around them think, looking at that, how is this possible? This is also how believers who follow Jesus were and are today able to face tribulation, troubles, hatred, persecution, and still not only stay strong, but they're able to flourish and to grow in the face of trials, in the face of the loss of their property, the death of their loved ones, their rejection for conversion, rejection from even their own families, and being driven from their homes. They stretched out their roots to the stream of living waters, and because of this, they grew strong. They grew strong. They were blessed according to the definition of the Lord Almighty because not only were they storing up treasures in heaven, and not only were they looking ahead to that final day, but in their present trials, they were given to him, and he gave himself to them. To trade the Lord, to trade this kind of strength for mere fleshly strength, is like, Jeremiah says, it's like a a partridge that sits on eggs that aren't his own. Like the man who steals riches. Note, the NKJV says they don't hatch, but uh, you'll find in other translations that uh, they... They, they do hatch, but there's this picture of abandonment. The partridge sits on eggs that aren't his, and then the, the eggs hatch, and these chicks, not recognizing their parent, all run away. The chicks run away because they aren't yours. And with the rich man who gets money that isn't his, well, these ill-gotten gains won't last forever. Eventually, you spend them, and you're left with nothing. Anyone who leans on anything else, Jeremiah says, is like these two pictures. You'll find that it fails you when you need it the most. Verse 13, those who depart from the Lord will be written in the dust because they've forsaken the Lord, the spring of living water. The year of drought has followed them up, has has swallowed them up, and they'll fail. And it's as he's preaching this, That Jeremiah comes to a sudden realization. A sudden realization, and then he responds. We'll see this, how he stretches out his roots by the stream. Now, before we get into that, just to help us to understand what Jeremiah is thinking right now, I'd like to ask you a question, brothers and sisters, boys and girls. What happens to you when troubles come? Do you stretch out your roots by the stream? Is your knee-jerk reaction when you run into troubles, Father, help me? 
We've seen that the man who, when trials come, leans on man. Uh, and we've, we, we've seen how this happens and how this leads to spiritual drought. And we've also seen the man who, when trials come, trusts in the Lord. And we've seen how this leads to growth even in times of drought. Now ask yourself this. What's your response to troubles, to drought? Jeremiah is talking to people who are among the people of God. People who are holding on to a religion of the flesh. A religion that comes from the flesh says, because God is God, I should be obedient. I should give money to the church, and so I guess I will. I should be kind and loving to my brother and sister, and so I guess I will. I should forget but for, forgive my brother or sister in Christ, so I guess I will. And this I should religion will fall short when times get tough, when life gets too rough. The response to troubles is to wither and to fail because I should, a religion of I should has its strength based in myself, based in my own flesh. Religion that comes from the Spirit, however, is one that is grounded in conviction and commitment, saying, I want to do this. Christ has worked in me and he's given me power by his Spirit. I trust that he's given me the power necessary for Christian living, for a Christian response to living even in the midst of drought, and I want this. The difficulty is, though, that we can't do this in our own strength. We can't even want this in our own strength. We need God to work this desire in our hearts. And so, to have this desire, we're going we're to run into the exact same brick wall that those people who rely on themselves are going to run into. But where they fall short, for us, our roots are stretched out to the streams of living waters. To have this desire, we need to stretch out our roots by the stream of living, streams of living waters to continue. The thing is that so often we can say we want these things with our mouths, but not realize that we don't really want it. Isn't that so? We can say that we want to exercise more, but not really want to exercise more. We want the benefits that come with it, sure. But we don't want to exercise more. So how do we come to the realization as to whether we actually want to be the man who trusts in the Lord and not just go herring after our trust in man? Not just to say it with our mouths, but to come at it with the attitude of God's begun the work and I'll just finish it without him. This was the attitude of some of God's covenant people that Jeremiah spoke with after all. They had said they wanted to serve God, but when it came to the end of the day, they didn't really want to. They had a religion that was based off of I should. And when push came to shove, where they really had their hearts beat out the I should. They really had their hearts on the things that they considered to be a blessing. Peace, wealth, security. And they left God as soon as that was gone. 
their hearts, their I want, resulted in a trusting in the flesh and a leaning on their own solutions. So how do we figure out which attitude rules in our lives? How do we discover where our own hearts are at? That's the very question that's put forward in verse 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? The natu- this is the natural state of the heart of man apart from God. Now if my heart is deceitful, how can I be sure that I'm not just tricking myself into thinking that my trust is in the Lord when my trust is actually in man? Well, that requires a moment of self-examination. To weigh our hearts, we ask ourselves, what's the fruit that I'm bearing? Jeremiah 17, verse 10. Where does that show where my heart is? What's the fruit that I'm bearing? If we go to the New Testament, the Apostle Paul says that the fruit of the flesh is evidence. The fruit of that stunted, withered scrub brush in the desert is very clear. When we start to stray from God, it's sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery or witchcraft, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, which is kind of like wild parties, and things like these. When trials come and our response is fits of anger, envy, self-medication by substance or alcohol abuse, going to parties to kind of lose ourselves. These are the fruits of a misplaced trust. A trust that's wandered from its covenant God. In times of trials, the fruit of the Spirit, on the other hand, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Jesus said you will know them by their fruits. A tree that extends its roots by the stream will bear fruit even in poor seasons because living water nourishes it and keeps it alive. When you're stressed, do you self-medicate with the help of alcohol, drugs, sexual immorality, which is to say the pursuit of pornography or illicit relationships? Or maybe even just drowning yourself under a, a... unusual amount of social media? When you're provoked, is your fruit strife, jealousy, fits of anger? Or is it patience, kindness, gentleness? This seems like a pretty, a pretty tall order, you might think. And you'd be right because the fact is that this is impossible by your own strength. It runs into the flesh and then it fails. A tree that's in drought can't bear fruit alone. Try to have a strawberry plant and leaving it on the patio when you go on holidays in dry weather. When you come back, you'd be foolish to expect fruit. Instead, you'll find wilting leaves and a half-dead plant. Likewise, a tree can't bear fruit alone in drought. And so this tree reaches out to water. In the same way, the believer doesn't say, I should, but I can't. 
But the believer says, because of God's work in me, I want to, but I'm struggling right now. And so, in order to get there, my roots are extending by the stream so that I can. Because without the work of the Spirit, I can't bear fruit. But if I ask for the power of the Spirit to work in my life, by God's grace, God will grant me this. And it's at this point, while he's preaching and he's seeing these pictures of of the, the bush that's in the desert and he's seeing the picture of the tree that's extending its roots by the stream, it's as he's preaching this and he's thinking back on his own struggles that Jeremiah comes to a realization, I haven't been bearing this fruit. There is a time in the life of all of us believers that we come to this realization, I haven't been bearing this fruit. Somewhere along the way, I began to trust in flesh. Not other people's flesh, maybe, but my own flesh. Somewhere along the way, I thought I had to bear this burden all by myself. And then my whole life became about how much I could bear. And then I cried out to God in protest. I said, God, I don't know if I can keep going. I wish I wasn't even born. And so what's Jeremiah's reply in the face of this? Once again, in repentance and humility, he extends his roots by the stream. In response to what he's preached, he says to God, Heal me, Lord. Heal me, and I shall be healed. Save me, and I shall be saved. For you are my praise. He reminds himself of his priorities again. You are my praise. It's as simple as that. He's been broken down spiritually. He's been injured and oppressed on every side. He's been discouraged and he's been depressed. And it was in this depressed state of mind that he cries out, I can't do this anymore. I was, wish I wasn't even born. But then on hearing God's word proclaimed, just as it pours out of his mouth, he is convicted by what he hears. That'll happen more often than you think when you're sharing God's word with people, by the way. He's convicted by what he himself hears. He's convicted by what he himself hears. He's fallen into relying on himself. This is what the Lord is calling the people of Judah's attention to when he says that he searches man's heart and gives man to man according to the fruit of his doings. The doings that he's talking about is the placement of trust. Where do you place your trust? And the fruit that has been borne out in the heart of Jeremiah is, as Jeremiah realizes now, the result of where Jeremiah has placed his trust. Sometimes our depression and anxiety can be the result of an imbalance of chemicals in our brain. And in these cases, it needs to be treated as such. You wouldn't withhold insulin from a diabetic. You wouldn't withhold medication to rebalance these chemicals in your own brain. Sometimes what we need is just medication. Sometimes it's a result of us having put more weight on our own capacity, thinking that we could do more than we actually could putting more trust in what we are able to do and overextending ourselves. 
beyond what God's, God has allowed our bodies and our minds to withstand at this particular phase of life. And this is the natural God-given response that our bodies were created to have, this, this anxiety, this reminder to, to tell us that we need to slow down and maybe take a different direction in life. But sometimes, sometimes it's simply the result of having misplaced our trust. In many cases, it can be simply the result of having misplaced our trust. And that's where Jeremiah finds himself today. The fact of the matter is he can't do this by himself. And so he cries out, save me and I shall be saved. He reaches out to God and he extends his roots by the stream. Now, does it mean that he's instantly better after this? That he makes a declaration and it's all fixed? No. His enemies are still there. Eventually they're destroyed, but that's not until the time of the exile when they're all carried off. They're still there right now. There's a whole lot of living, though, that happens between now and that day of exile. That being said, however, he has stretched out his roots to the streams of living water. He has left everything with God. He himself is now content. He has repented of trying to carry this weight all by himself. He has placed it on God, left it with God, and now he's ready to continue for another hour, for another day. Because he has God. He has the Lord, Yahweh, our covenant God. And that's the healing and salvation that God grants him right now in this moment. His situation hasn't changed, but his trust has changed. God has healed him, and God has saved him, saved him from a misplaced trust, and saved him from himself. And that's the fact of the matter with us as well. We can examine ourselves sometimes and realize that the fruit of our actions show a reliance on ourselves. And this is a reason for repentance. Just as Jeremiah repented and prayed for God to heal him, to save him from himself, to teach him, so too do we repent. We ask the Lord to save us, to heal us, and to teach us in the way that we should grow. To convict us, if necessary, even by the very words that are coming out of our mouths as we are speaking with other people and encouraging other people. Sharing the news of their covenant God with them. God granted Jeremiah his prayer. And Jeremiah was given the strength and the courage to go on preaching for 41 years with just two converts. There were up days and there were down days that didn't change. But Jeremiah was able to continue even in the face of all that, even in the face of being thrown down a well and sinking up to his chest in mud and being left there for a, couple, for, uh, a long period of time even in the face of being trucked off with the people who fled to Egypt when he had called down judgment on anyone who fled to Egypt. They said, all right, we'll take you with us then. And whatever judgment we have, you're going to experience as well. Even in the face of all of that, that didn't change. Jeremiah was able to continue 
in the face of that because his trust wasn't in his own flesh, wasn't in how much he could do, but it was in the Lord's, the covenant Lord's faithfulness. When times of trouble came, he stretched out his roots by the stream and the Lord sustained him. He was truly blessed. The Lord didn't disappoint him. This is what God does for us in Christ. In Christ, he has laid a claim to us as his own. He has built this covenant relationship with us and he washes us clean of every sin and stain and he transforms us by his Holy Spirit. Christ took that first step in this covenant relationship as we reach out to him, stretching out our roots by his stream, his spirit will work in us. And in times of trials, troubles, sorrows, we might be anxious for a time. But we know that we will not need to be anxious if we cast our anxieties on him. Because he will never dry up on us. He'll be there with his living water so that we can bear fruit in keeping with the spirit. So that we can be blessed. And we will not fear when the heat comes. But we'll have leaves that are perennially green. Amen.